Dotnet Rocks episode 767 with guest Michael Learned. Recorded live Monday, April 23rd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Don Rocks. Carl, it's Richard. And um, what can I say, man? What can you say? I'm just enjoying that we're really wandering around 4.5 and Studio 11 and all of these great new technologies that, while still in beta, are clearly coming together now. And, uh, you know, the product's still moving forward. It's only getting better. And I'm discovering more and more cool stuff about it all the time. And, in fact, that's what my Better Know framework is about today. Really? So let's let it roll. Love the theme music. All right, what do you got? That strange and beautifully weird theme music. All right, so uh, you've you, you've been really into the whole DevOps idea lately, Richard. Yeah. I, well, you know, it's one of those things where I sort of realized I'm doing this. Well, you're not the only one who's thinking DevOps. Uh, Microsoft is sort of um, designing Visual Studio 11 to be just as happy for admins as it is for developers. And really? there's a great blog post about this at tinyurl.com slash vs11devops. It's entitled Revenge of the DevOps. Microsoft targets next Visual Studio for admins, too. Um, you know, so not only are they sort of conjoining the worlds of Visual Studio and Expression Blend into one product, but also there's some good stuff for admins. And they say worth noting is this new TFS project dashboard, which is supplied by the cloud-based team server. It's not just that it incorporates Microsoft's corporate-wide layout. It borrows its on-screen gadget concept from the upcoming server manager tool for the next Windows Server 8. Huh. Yeah, so so there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there, and this is a great article that sort of details some of that stuff. And some of these, I think, we're going to be talking about today. I hope so with our guests, because uh, you know, generally ops folks steer clear of studio. Yeah, uh, and and then uh, when you if you were a DBA, if you're working on a database, you didn't Data. have a choice because the, it's the same studio engine that runs SQL Server 2012. All the admin tools were in there. So I guess since about 2008, it's been like that. So I mean, it, it, it's interesting that this is coming to pass. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft, a quote from Microsoft says, in Visual Studio 11, we're taking the next big steps in terms of providing a tight workflow between the dev world and the ops world. We call it the DevOps loop. And that was Soma saying that. Nice. So a lot of good stuff in there. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 744, and if you recall, that was uh, the show we did with Keith Brown talking about RavenDB and SQL Server working together. Yeah. And this comment comes from Dominic Finn out of the UK, who says, uh, A great show, guys. I listened to this a couple of weeks ago, but only just remembered now to comment. I found the concept of doing nightly tasks to make some flat data to SQL Server transformations interesting, but it seems to me that this compromise isn't needed. Using CQRS, you could write to both data sources at once. For example, when a user changes their address, you could fire off an event like user updated and then handle it two ways. One would update the user in RavenDB, and the second would update the user to the SQL Server database asynchronously. Nice. 
Although not instantaneous, the event handler that writes to the reporting service could then get all the information it needs to put together and insert into a flat reporting table or into the relational database, and the data would always be pretty more, more or less up to date all the time. Uh, and it's an interesting approach, just this idea of let's not punish the user for the decomposition of objects into relational data models. Sure. So just sticking it on the back end, you don't have to wait the whole day to do that. You could just do it asynchronously in the back end. Seems so, to me to be uh, the best of both worlds. Like, absolutely. I don't see any reason not to do that. There are good design patterns for it. So uh, I'll mug you. <laughs> you've I, been, I mug for less. You've been mugged. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm shipping off a mug to Dominic. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we introduce Michael, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their library. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Nice. Yeah. And with that, let's introduce Michael Learned. Michael is a senior premier field engineer in Visual Studio ALM Ranger, working for Microsoft. Michael travels around the world and works with many of Microsoft's largest customers and helps their developers in various capacities with .NET, Visual Studio, and Team Foundation Server. Currently, Michael is working on the next version of the Rangers Branching and Merging Guidance, which can be found on CodePlex. Welcome, Michael. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Welcome back, I should say. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a while since we talked to you. Do you have any opinions about the whole DevOps thing becoming a new, uh, the new thing in Studio 11? Yeah, so there's actually another interesting blog I would probably point your listeners to. Uh, talking about preemptive analytics would be the buzzword there in Visual Studio. Uh, Brian Harry's blog, in fact, back in the April eleventh, uh, I believe, you'll see a blog around this. Um, this is interesting because we've been doing this with Studio for a while, with Visual Studio for a while, where you know we're collecting that kind of data, and there's other well, there's several aspects to this. I mean, this gets into IntelliTrace and production and whatnot. But one of the cool things I would, I would think, you know, most developers are going to find just freakishly cool. Imagine instrumenting your own applications and then having monitoring for certain things happen in production, and then automatically getting like work items bugs fed back to the development group yeah uh i think that's pretty cool stuff i mean we we, we, we've been trying to do i mean we've probably done that in one form or fashion uh manually or you've written to your own logs and that kind of thing of course before but it's getting freaky cool well and we've talked to the preemptive guys before because in studio 2010 they put a version of their analytics included with Studio, which nobody seems to know about. It drives me nuts because it's such good technology. But just this idea yeah. to instrument your live app all the time and get all that feedback on who's using what version, what features they're spending their time in, that's all great stuff. But it sounds like they've taken it up a level here. Yeah, working with the uh, working with the preemptive guys. So not reinventing something here, but you know, building that te- you know telemetry basically... Um, with that existing tool. And it, there's a nice little, if you look at the beta, um, you can see a nice little preemptive analytics icon. And I encourage everybody to go to Brian Harry's blog, like I say, and, and, and look about the data. 
some pretty cool stuff with, um, you know, ranking the various, you know, just looking at the type of stuff that you'll get back, all driven by work items. So pretty exciting. That's awesome. So when there's a, a crash, the analytics tool captures that, sends it back, and it actually creates a work item in the process? Yep, creates a work item in TFS, and it's available there, which also we've also been doing since 2010. As you mentioned, um, there's stuff in 2010 people don't talk about or know about, but we've had system center integration there, which we're doing some of that you know, integration with the work item system as well for a while too. So uh, also a good place that, uh, you know, or Brian's blogged about several times. So um, really cool stuff. The ops world and the dev world are, you know, colliding fast. I can imagine that'd be a tricky thing to automatically have code that introduces bugs based on crashes. If there are slight differences in one person's crash from another person's crash, but it's basically caused by the same problem. You could have a flood of, uh, of bugs yeah. that are related to the same issue, you know, is it smart enough to to know that ah, uh, that's probably the same bug? Right. So with with implementation, just like anything else, there's going to be uh, there's possible gotchas like that. Um, I'm not positive on how intelligent the first, or the, at least the beta release, it's going to be. It, it's an evolving evolving story. So um, I'm not expert on um, if it's going to be able to differentiate. I also would worry a little bit about. Am I going to get you know applications like uh, like I may write, <laughs> and we may get hit with a ton of bugs at once, right? It, it, so the whole managing of that in TFS as well, all of a sudden my you know the queries I rely on every day may blow up on me. That kind of things uh, yeah. will have to be addressed. Yeah. Well, it sounds sounds promising and very very interesting. Um, so uh, in terms of the TFS dashboard that they were talking about. That right. sounds that sounds pretty pretty cool and interesting that um that uh, TFS admins might be uh might be really uh cozy with that. Yeah, I mean it, it specifically T, TFS administrators we start talking about so there's really two types of stories here. One is uh, you know monitoring of TFS itself and if I'm a TFS admin and looking at that kind of data uh which by the way Grant Holiday published some performance reports which we do that kind of you know, real-time uh, monitoring, so to speak. And then there's the whole monitoring of the line of business application. Um, and then also on, uh, you know, on the blogs, you'll see various screenshots of some of these these dashboards. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is still evolving, but uh, it's coming coming really fast into the product and, you know, all driven by nice dashboarding KPIs versus, you know, pouring through logs with some type of parser. So a lot of promise with 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 this type of thing with with ops. And again, I think the the system center folks are you know they just natively find this really really useful. So what's an ALM Ranger? ALM Ranger, they are a well. I say it's someone that's probably. Let me give you a quick description. They're probably overworked. Uh, they don't have a girlfriend. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm teasing. So, so an ALM Ranger is, is is a great group of people, and actually, it's not just internal to Microsoft. Or you know, it's it's out, it's externals as well, which makes it really cool. So you know, the MVPs and such. And what we do is we work on projects. You know, there's an original vision statement, so to speak, of you know, looking for adoption blockers, filling in gaps, so to speak, where there might be guidance or missing tools. And you know. I mentioned you were talking a lot about uh, the ops world, which is not necessarily my, you know, my world, but basically uh, there was a system center, uh, you know, pack built, uh, Rangers drove that. There's been a lot of guidance built just on various, you know, white papers, hands-on labs, videos. 
do all kinds of work, but we're all about Visual Studio and Team Foundation Server. And what happened for Dev 11, it was really cool. Due to some of the popularity of the projects and the success of the projects, the Rangers got the one of the unique abilities to kind of help drive all of the guidance for, for Dev 11. So we are basically sim shipping or simultaneously shipping guidance and labs and all the goodies uh, right alongside the product. So you'll see the product go to beta. You'll see a bunch of Rangers projects go to beta. You know, projects, it'll go to RTM eventually, so will our projects. And there's just a litany of projects. We could talk a lot about, I think what we're going to talk about today is kind of the lap around ALM, and we're kind of covering end-to-end, so to speak, the product. So I, I particularly work on the, the branching and merging guidance, and we just released a beta to CodePlex for that. So it's exciting stuff, and I get to work with a lot of people external, too, so I really enjoy it. Well, let's uh, we, let's get started going down. The, we haven't done this in a long time, just sort of talk about what's in the box and what's in there. Maybe we should start with something like storyboarding, since that's where that's where we sure. probably start. Okay, let's talk about storyboarding as the logical starting point. So with Dev 11, if, and you saw this in the preview as well as the beta now, uh, we built a storyboarding tool in PowerPoint. And the idea there is if you're going to be doing prototyping or something like that, uh, to give your users an early look at how the application may look and flow. Uh, the natural the natural choice was PowerPoint for us. Now that people got a little squeamish of that as I've I've told the story a few times and I you know saw the blank stares in the audience about, you know, why PowerPoint? We've already have Visio, we already have Sketchflow, right? Or um, and PowerPoint, uh, if just in a nutshell, it's, it's easier to show maybe in a dot, you know, on a DRTV episode than it is talk about. But basically, it becomes pretty powerful when you can reuse all these shapes like Windows Phone or browser or whatever, uh, and you know, basically use PowerPoint animation to draw, you know, the gestures as you're working with the applications, and users can sit down and just flow through PowerPoint very naturally and really get a good feel for how the application is going to look. And, of course, the goal for this and some other tools we'll probably talk about today to help remove, like, the ambiguity um, on what we build as developers versus what, you know, the, the customer actually wanted or needed. So pretty cool stuff because it's, I think the power of it, not that, you know, it does anything different, that you, you could obviously do this in, in Sketchflow or build these prototypes in a different way, but, mm-hmm. man, it's just PowerPoint. You can build it super fast, right? Wow, that's great. And it, how is that? Is that actually connected to Studio in any way, or is, is it just like a bunch of templates in PowerPoint? Yeah, so it's an add-in in PowerPoint, and it is connected to, um, you know, TFS. So at the end of the day, this could be, since it's, you know, it's got a TFS connector, we're talking about attaching to work items, uh, this kind of thing, and you're driving requirements if you want to go that route. It also could just be, um, you know, you need to have Visual Studio um, installed currently in the beta, you would have it. And mm-hmm. it could also just be something, though, that you just ship a PowerPoint over the wall and run. So it's just uh, graphics and shapes and animations in PowerPoint. It's no, you know, there's no huge dependency there. And if so, you have PowerPoint... Well, yeah, I do think ahead. that's interesting because if you're talking to customers, they're more likely to have PowerPoint installed than Visio installed. Sure. Right. And how do you get from those uh, from those storyboards to architecture diagrams? Well, that story is a little little hazy here in terms of, um, you know, no button press right now, at right. least that I'm aware of. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, these are PowerPoint. They are disconnected, so to speak, from, uh, you know, I don't all of a sudden get, like, class code based on right. that. But it, that's part of the, I think, the power of them is, you, you know, I throw them up in an hour, right? I'm not inventing, I'm having to invent much. Um, right. And it's one of these early things, uh, you know, early on in the process, I'll say. 
Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, any storyboarding tool should lead to something, you know, actually feed the next step. Which I yep. guess is planning and architecture. Yep. Yep. So, and then, you know, the architecture tooling continues to evolve. Um, it's one of kind of one of my neglect areas, to be honest, where I'm not alone, man. Yeah. The architect edition <laughs> of Visual Studio 2008, the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of studio. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. It's, and it's really cool. I mean, freakishly cool in 2010 with, with the things that you can do with, um, you know, understanding the, uh, the architecture of a code base all the way down to validating like via build where you're going to allow calls and all of this. But I, uh, you know, and in the field, I work in the field a lot and I unfortunately have, that's, you know, I have a bucket list of like all these things I want to do, right? Mm. Like build these windows phone apps somewhere in that list is the architecture tool. This portion of .NET rocks is brought to you by Telerik just code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where just code is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features just code offers and download a trial at telerik.com slash just code. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. All right, so let's say that we have architectural diagrams. Now now we're we're starting to code and we're starting to use the the whole uh TFS thing in a in a more practical way. What's new in the box for us in VS11? Okay, and and you know, this is where it it's a large large order to talk about. There's so much stuff. Um I want to start with talking about version control just for a minute. Um, and we could talk about Visual Studio and all the improvements there. And there's some, you know, gray area, obviously, which, whether we're talking about TFS or VS. But, uh, you know, we, you guys have heard of local workspaces. Um, everybody's, everybody's popular. You know, everybody feels very uh, strongly one way or another about distributed version control. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, TFS is not that. We've, in the past, it's a very connected, server-based, you know, version of the true story, so to speak. And, you know, again, you go out and find plenty of blogs on something we're introducing called local workspaces, which takes us a step towards the distributed story, not all the way there. But let me give you one quick example I think a lot of listeners probably can, can relate to. Um, in current workspaces, when you're working in 2010 or, you know, 08 or 05, you'll notice that you have this read-only bit all over your files, right, in your file system. And, you know, the good Lord forbid that TFS would go offline for a second. Uh, things would start to get kind of ugly, right? Now, whether that was you unplugging to go to the, the coffee machine or whether that was the network blinked, you're just all of a sudden waiting on T- Visual Studio to understand, and it just gets ugly to go offline, and there's very, been various workaround attempts, and we have some stuff built into the tool in 2010 to help. But the idea with, with local workspaces is we're, we're solving some of that. So there's no more read-only bit. So, you you know, we'd have a large applause, I'm assuming, if if we had the audience live here. The read-only <laughs> bit is gone. Awesome. Um, 
Yeah, and you, it, it starts to have some ramifications. Uh, one is I can I do a demo typically where I'll shut down IIS, you know, this canonical demo that TFS at that point. You know, Brian Keller does this demo too. I stole that from him, so I should probably mention him. But it basically, <laughs> TFS is it's it's down, and what I want to do is now do something, and you won't even know it if you're working in studio uh, in, in the next version. So the file still gets checked out. I'm sitting there typing away, I don't, and it comes back online. I check it. Everything is just normal. There's no go online, go offline, toggle read-only bit off, anything like that. That's, that's one thing that you get that's really cool. You can also do, like, undo pending changes. You can do compare to the last version, things like that. You're not checking in yet. Again, though, you know, it's still not fully distributed, but we're a step that way. And Brian Harry's even been public that we're headed that way of distributed version control. Um, so getting the you know the benefits of being able to go on and offline uh, easily uh, you know you know make this a real nice story with with local workspaces um, another thing that bubbles up right away is if you're working in the current version you're probably having to pull your hair out if you want to kind of go behind the scenes let's say with notepad maybe op- open a config file or do some type of edit that doesn't involve visual studio things get ugly you know you didn't tell tfs about it it doesn't know it doesn't like it Whereas with local workspaces, if, you know, another demo, I can just be behind the scenes, open that web config and notepad, make the change. If I glance over at Visual Studio, it automatically picked it up. You know, there's no refresh. It's just right there. Nice. And it, yeah, it's really cool. It, 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 it just, it just works like you'd expect. It's one of those things where, oh, it, it did that. That's what I wanted to happen. So I think that users will find that very nice stuff with local workspaces. Um, by the way, you still have the ability, to go to server workspaces, uh, which is, you know, what's been, a, been there all along. Uh, so you still have the flexibility to go back to the, the old way if you choose. And that works better for like giant teams that are, you know, always connected on a big LAN and that kind of thing. I was thinking more about giant project. There are projects I've been involved in where I'd be frightened to have all the source in my local cache. <laughs> exactly. Is so there, there some kind of granularity? Can I say, you know, I only want this piece local? Well, currently, yeah. So it's well, workspace by workspace, you know. So okay. it's, it's one of those things, yeah. Yeah. So there are some projects that are frightening in that category. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And and that's kind of why, uh, you know, we built server workspaces to begin with because we were in that boat. And therein lies the battle between, you know, distributed story, fully distributed versus, you know, something in between versus a, a purely server-based model. You know, TFS to me doesn't really seem to glow until we get through the first version and we're working on subsequent versions and getting into those iteration stages where we could see you know the cadence of folks and you know the, i think when i think about tfs's strength i think about its ability to report on the productivity of a team so basically uh you know i want to allude to talk about team web access for a minute which um really can help you track iterations do product backlog planning at a whole new level than than we had possible in the previous version um, it, it, this works both for the, the TFS in the cloud as well as TFS on-premise. But the idea, if, if, if you look at Team Web Access today and you look at the next version, you won't really recognize the product. We've built this very um, user-friendly, you know, modern web, uh, web application that allows you to manage things like work items with drag-and-drop gestures. We have a, a task board. So for, for those of you that have been familiar doing some type of agile development like Scrum or using like a stand-up board, mm-hmm. uh, we've got that built directly into the tool now. So you start to manage the work and the backlog. But one of the cool things that I was, uh, what I was alluding to when you talked about 
watching how the project's flowing and the reporting on the project is we've got real-time reporting now in the web access tool. Nice. Well, so, cool. Now, yeah, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but web access really came about as a tool to let people who don't normally have Studio installed be able to submit bugs and see certain things. I mean, is th- that where it all came from? Yeah, it's basically like how I explain it was back then was it, 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 how you have like your email client over the web. Maybe it's like, you know, Outlook Web Access. It does almost everything that you could do with the on-premise, but not quite. So it's more, it, it is more than just submitting bugs. That That's part of it. So you could, you know, and that's a very natural thing for it to do is to have somebody that doesn't have anything installed on their machine be able to feed work items back to development groups. Uh, you can manage builds with it. You could look at source control with it. You could, you know, so it has a lot of functionality, kind of like Team Explorer over the web, so to speak. Um, and it's really, you know, it, it started as a third party, you know, that we acquired the, the developers and the company there that built that and it continued to evolve. And, you know, it went, it become more scalable in 2010 with, you know, still some nuances there. But in the next version, you know, you're going to find this, you know, this HTML5 like very modern look and feel and, and gesture, you know, drag and drop gestures, really cool stuff. And what makes me bring it up when we talk about in the context of, um, you know, managing iterations and whatnot is the cool real-time reporting when we, we can look at burndowns and we can look at, we can also do capacity planning, things like that for the team right there out into the tool. And if you, if you know 2010, you know that we had some capacity planning worksheets that were built, like when, you know, you had some Excel workbooks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could put in how much you guys were going to be off work this week and how much, you know, how many story points we're going to try to bite onto for this iteration. That's all been fed now or driven by in, into the web access tool. And, uh, you know, real nice uh, dashboarding and stuff like that. I encourage everybody just to, to take a quick spin around that tool. I think you'll find a, a great experience there. Well, and I'm a big fan of having big plasma screens or, you know, in in the workspace so that you're always looking at how the burndown's going or how the sprint is going. It's just we used to have to update that. You used to be a guy who was updating that all the time. Right. So the idea yep. that we can get it automated and free up that guy to do other things is pretty compelling because the more, and you know, if you can't see it, you can't, I mean, you can't measure it. You don't know what's happening, but I can't tell you how many times when we've seen what the current workload is. To have, yep. you know, I have somebody come running uh, up to me saying, we want to add a feature. We got to make it in this release. And then they sort of skid to a stop when they see the workboard and go, or not. Because <laughs> they realize, like, these guys are loaded down. Like, uh, yeah, okay, we can add your post-it to the Kanban board. What one are you going to take down? And I exactly. don't have to, you know, I'm not going to do that argument for you. That That's who owns that one. You can go convince them yours is more important. Exactly. And I think one of the compelling things about having all that up in Team Web Access is it's it's just in a browser and everybody yeah. can get to it. And and everybody should be able to get to it. I mean, I, I really struggle with developers are working, you know, in this mysterious laboratory that nobody knows what they're doing or why it took so long or what was hard, what was easy. So the more transparency <laughs> we can give to that, you know, the better off all of us are. Yeah. Unless I'm that guy that's actually down there doing that work. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, uh, Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time. It's time to give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Today's winner is Mark Glory. Congratulations, Mark. Golf, Golf clap, clap for you. for you, Mark. And, uh, you know, we, I saw a comment recently on, uh, on the website who uh, this guy was 
listening to the latest show and he got to the the giveaway and he never wins anything so he was just about to hit the fast forward button on his on his <laughs> player and his name was called so <laughs> don't do that don't skip it it's not that long <laughs> yeah and it might be you it might be you so if you don't know what we're talking about you can win free stuff by joining the dotnet rocks fan club go to dotnetrocks.com click on the big get free stuff button in the upper right hand corner and you two could win and every december we're going to give away 5 grand worth of technology to one lucky listener all right uh michael let's talk about submitting bugs because uh that's uh part and parcel with uh running an alm solution sure yeah and, and what's great about and, and it's been this way for a while with tfs is there's lots of ways to get bugs into the system and this will allow me to actually to segue into it one of our cool new features okay. <laughs> but base, basically you know for for a while now you've been able to go to things like sharepoint uh, team web access and, mm-hmm. and do those type of things to submit bugs. And it's nice because you don't have to get, have, you know, everything installed on your machine. You're just in a browser. But you and, do have yeah. to write it up. You fill in all the forms. I mean, there's a, it's not a trivial thing to submit a decent bug report. No, it's not. And especially if you want real nice steps to repro. Cause at the end of the day, anybody can submit a bug, but whether it's what we call an actionable bug. Yeah. Is, is a different story, right? Whether that bug just sits there and gets triaged and we, you know, we start playing ping pong with it, you know, God forbid. So somebody uh, can actually call a cannot reproduce on it. <laughs> exactly. So what do we do? And, and, you know, in our tool, we started to, in this, you know, started in 2010 where, you know, Microsoft Test Manager, which is a brand new tool then for us, and what to submit these quote unquote actionable bugs. And the whole idea was when you throw that bug over the wall, to the development group, you know, let it have everything they need to reproduce it and, and make the fix. And, you know, which gets us into the IntelliTrace data we could collect, all based on these diagnostic data adapters. We could collect all this clever data, um, you know, everything from a video of what we just did. So you could see that the tester just, like, pointed here, here, and there with the mouse, and that's how they found the bug. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it, remove the, the gray area on what it is and, and get it to the developers that could take action all the way down into the, you know, the IntelliTrace logs. So we could load it up and do live debugging with it, you know, even though it happened over the weekend and it's now Tuesday. Right. Um, so we're doing some cool stuff in the next version. You know, sometimes we have this well-defined test script and you have testers, if you're lucky enough to have a QA group that is building them all the time and, you know, they've got all these, you know, start at step one, come out at step 50, here's our smoke test for logging in and ordering, you know, the piece or whatever. Um, but not every organization or enterprise has that for every line of business application. Sometimes you're just out there, you know, I, I like to say you put grandma on the application, just set yeah. her in front of it. She'll break it, right? Break it in uh, seconds. <laughs> you yeah, haven't met my grandma. all day. <laughs> but you know, and, and it's true, there are certain personalities that are just well suited to breaking software. Exactly. They're good at it. There was a guy at Crescent Software who, if you were ready to test and you thought you were going to ship your product, you just have him come over to your desk and watch you use it, and it would break. <laughs> <laughs> swear to God. It's so true. I mean, I think I could, you know, I, I really, I dummy proof the remotes in my house for my kids and we've just got all this direct TV set up and all that. And I think I have it. And then I bring my grandma over for one night and she, she's got the whole system down. So, nice. um, yeah. So what we do is we've got a really cool answer for this that I wish I had in the house there. Um, we've got this, um, exploratory testing, which we're doing in, in, um, we have some of this in the previous version, but it's a much more first class thing here in the, in the next version, Dev 11. But the idea is let's just start up the app 
and just, and, you know, I don't care what you do, bang away. And then if you do run into something, then we're going to, at that point, file a bug. And what's cool is it's captured all the steps you've done. And if you want to trim that and say, oh, that's only really the last five minutes they are important, you can do things like that. And you can audit, you can generate a bug, but not only that, you can generate a test case that will validate, you know, when the developer fixed that bug and, uh, that, you know, and automatically generate you a test case as well. So, you know, there's lots of ways to create bugs uh, in TFS, but this is one of the cooler ways, I think. Um, you know, from somebody that's out just trying to break the app. So, uh, is there some kind of capture mechanism running? Like, what's what's happening that makes that work? Yeah. So the user actions are being captured as you're as you're you know moving throughout the application. You basically have, have at that point you're doing what's you went into Microsoft Test Manager and you basically just said, hey, I'm going to go do exploratory testing, and you get. Um, a much nicer version, by the way, of what I'll call like the Microsoft Test Runner that's mm-hmm. kind of floating there. And there's some other cool stuff we can talk about as well. But basically, you can be kind of typing away, okay, here I go. But you're not under any set script, right? They're not like saying, telling you where to go, what to do. No. You're just doing it. And you can be taking screenshots, of course. And in fact, we're even doing things now with some of them. We're doing this with the feedback client as well. But you can even be capturing audio, doing really, really cool stuff. Um, hmm. and, is this something that deploys as part of the app, or is it a separate install? So this is actually, um, the, you know, the exploratory testing piece is part of the Microsoft Test Manager tool. Okay. And yeah, and then of, co- of course, depending on the type of data that we're trying to collect, um, uh, if we want to do that kind of testing, that that requires various um, adapters to, be, you know, test. Um, agents to be configured and whatnot, but for this piece, I'm just talking about you know the actions I'm taking on the UI itself. Yeah. Um, yep. And it can just capture those. And 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 again, when we talk about bugs and tests as well in TFS now, of course, we're talking about work items. You know, test cases are work items too. So I can generate both of those things. And really nice. And again, probably more fitting to in a DNR TV thing than it is a, a podcast maybe to talk about or easier to show. Mm-hmm. But uh, really, really cool, and we can um, certainly do that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, if I had that on for my grandma, you know, day and night, I would know exactly how she's bringing my system down. Well, and, and that's what I'm thinking is that that still require. It sounds like I still need a license. It's going to be an internal set of tests. It's not something I can just deploy with the app, and anybody running my app when they get into trouble, we can just go back and review it. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I'm mean, here, you know, and again, we're talking we'll be back into ops world here in a minute, but uh basically um you can see where I, I had a customer actually asking about, hey, could we could we do some type of uh, coded UI version of that uh, you know, for our production app so that we could always see the repro. But yeah, yeah, again, it will be some it'll be using one of our tools. You're right. It's in, it's in your organization, not for, you know, your customers necessarily. However, uh, I can imagine um, people, you know, that are on the phone. They can be on the phone like, okay, I'm on the phone with the customer, and they say if I do this, I'm going to break the app. Uh, this is a nice way to fire up the tool without having the overhead of a, you know, I don't have a test script at that point. I've just, I'm just no, going. No, but it, you're, you're right. If I'm doing a tech support call and the guy's talking to me through a repro, I, then I turn on the tracker on me yep. and can do it. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, you know what I want? I want a DLL I can deploy with my app. I know certain customers is like, <laughs> anybody's going to break this thing it's this guy right yeah uh, i'm every copy of this app i ship for him i want to log everything he does yep which back over to the uh the analytics world mm-hmm. but yeah yep so so basically you know getting those 
Uh, again, I think you see this a lot with with the with the tooling. The idea being, let's remove the ambiguity and and easily repro things. Um, and how they would do that today, if you talk about that tech support person on the phone, they'd get on the phone and they would walk through the app and they might take screenshots or you know they might do something clever like Camtasia recording if they're really you know they're really clever. Um, but you know we're trying to make that just seamless and into the tool. And then by the way. When, they, when the developer does fix that, maybe we, we need that test case to validate right. that, that we fix that bug as well. So pretty cool, which, which could segue, you know, segue me right into another t- nice tool called um, Feedback Client. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, Feedback Manager, it was called, I believe, in the preview. Um, beta, you'll see a little Feedback Client if you look under the uh, Visual Studio and Start Programs. And so we don't necessarily have a, you know, we're not necessarily testing or I don't necessarily need you to find me a bug necessarily, but I'd like some feedback from my application. You're my stakeholders. So I'm going to send, uh, you know, my internal customers or whatnot, um, whoever I'm building this for, maybe it's the project manager, whoever. But I'm going to have this, this tool where, again, it's going to look similar to the exploratory testing, except for uh, they're providing feedback as they walk through the application. You could, again, be recording the video, the audio. They could talk about what they like, what they don't like. They could be rating the application at the end of this, but then, you know, kind of typing away with taking screenshots, et cetera. And that'll actually become a work item. They can submit me a, a work item of type feedback, and then I can, you know, take action on that. And again, the hopes of removing the ambiguity of as I'm building the application, this is actually what you want. And right. I could, you know, I, it, there's nothing like seeing and hearing you talk about my app as you use it to kind of drive the point home to me as the developer. Well, I also really like connecting that to the to work items so that when he asked, did you do this? Did you respond to this? You have a clear trail of action. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, you, you just see it, hear it and feel it. And and then, um, you know, again, I can imagine you want to get this feedback iteratively, kind of an ongoing nature, and you want to do it early on in the process. And it's not where I go and I build the application for a long time and then I email you about it or we jump on the phone about it three or four times. Let's get it into TFS again so it could be kind of easily digested by the whole team and, and whatnot in a work item. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hate having any capture. I don't, I hate having any dialogue like that that isn't captured as part of the process. Yep. Which, you know, and, and we're seeing all these tools, you know, Microsoft Outlook, Excel, Project, all these other ways. You know, we could spend a whole show talking about how I get work items into TFS. Somebody's mm-hmm. built a connector, you know, Word now. Um, so really cool stuff with um, we're trying to make it just kind of seamless. But at the end of the day, the, the goal has been pretty similar since the beginning. Let's get the data, the one version of the truth in the TFS back end so we can report on it, all understand where it's at, et cetera. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. All right. I think we've run the bug side of the ground. Although, and we've talked briefly about the, about the whole preemptive piece in Brian Harry's blog post, which I think, which I think is totally awesome. 
What about TFS in the cloud? Should I get away from installing this stuff on my machine anymore and just run it remotely? Okay, so you're asking me, should I install, do I need to install it on-premise anymore, or should I just rely yeah. on the cloud? Yeah. Okay, let me attempt to answer that question elegantly. So, it's first of all, at some point, okay, what I can do in the cloud, I would imagine will be equivalent as well as pr- probably even surpass, uh, in many ways, what I can do on-premise. Right. I, I should be clear that that's, we're not there today completely. There okay. still are... There's this internal um, stuff I'll watch uh, that Brian Harry, again, will throw out there once in a while on an email alias that we use. And this is what's in the cloud, this is what not type thing, right? Where you can, you know, we don't have things today like project server, okay? We don't have, um, you know, the reporting services piece. So that can help answer the question, you know, it could be a showstopper, right? If you're relying on something that's not in the cloud yet. Right. But the idea is, you know, that stuff evolves fast and we're adding more stuff. You know, what a really exciting announcement recently was build service in the cloud. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. That so, is uber cool. <laughs> really cool because, you know, I think that's one of the promises of the cloud. And what, you know, you walk in an organization, I work with enterprise customers all the time who are, you know, if, if they're really mature with the product, man, their build servers are smoking in the back. They've got them running all the time, you know, continuous yep. integration, et cetera. And having this elasticity and all this promise of that really makes sense for build, for build servers. So that wasn't there yesterday, but it is today type thing. So that, you know, that, so there'll be some of these adoption blockers removed. Now that being said, let's say that, you know, all the features are kind of there that I want. Do I need to install it on, on, you know, on site or not? Well, I mean, it's going to make sense. There's always going to be with the cloud in general. I mean, there's always going to be some companies, banks, et cetera, their privacy just rules out. And who knows, you know, the political decisions that go on, whether or not, you know, everything will, will eventually be in the cloud or not. But in general, I, and I've been using it, you know, over a year now, basically, but we've been dog feeding it with, for Rangers forever. I won't even know as a user if I'm connected to my, you know, my server next door or the server in the cloud when things are running well. It's just, it's humming along. It doesn't matter. So I would think in, you know, in general, I love to default that way. You know, if I can, let's use the cloud base. I don't have the maintenance overhead then, right? I don't have to worry about things like disaster recovery as much. I don't have to worry about, um, some of these things the cloud just takes care of for me. Um, what if I want to add 200 more users tomorrow? Oh, well, big deal, right? The cloud's yeah. there. Okay, so one of the really interesting, you know, cloud scenarios that would push me that way with TFS uh, is the geographically distributed nature of things. I, mm-hmm. I work on, you know, I work on a team where, with the Rangers team, where we just have people all over the world working, and we're authenticating with live IDs. So, I mean, I just check something in, and then somebody you know, in Australia checks it back out, and it, you know, those kinds of things are really nice. You know, I'm not worried about a proxy server. I'm not worried about, um, you know, things like that. So, you know, and then, you know, not being connected to, I'm not, doesn't have to necessarily be on my corporate network, right? I'm just, you know, on the internet. So there's a lot of promise there, I believe. Uh, and again, you know, this could drift into these privacy concerns and what kind sure. of data I'm keeping there. What about as a backup strategy, just having a copy of your source offsite? Yeah, it's, it's perfect for that, right? And, and, and sure. by nature, by nature of the cloud, it's backed up, you know, three times today or five times, depending on the, you know, what you need, uh, automatically. Yeah. Just having it off your machine, uh, off site, because everybody's with, since the beginning of time, backups where, okay, I put it on a tape. Now what do I do with it? Well, you know, 
get it off site quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before quick, the building get it out of here. But I like this idea of you know I've got enough bandwidth now. Even though I think a, a, a bun- most of my guys are going to work on the on-prem data center, if I can have it synced to the cloud, and if I have remote guys, maybe the the cloud stuff is is better for them to access than our on-prem. Oh, absolutely. And then what about teams where? You know, and although TFS is much, much better today, and I've been supporting installs on in, on in the wild since the beginning, right. um, and I don't want to get in trouble here, but basically it's much better today than it was a long time ago installing it. But there's still, you know, there's maintenance overhead in doing that. Yeah, no, it's never, it's better installed than it was, but it used to be a freak show. <laughs> you know, you had to sacrifice a chicken. You could only install the server on a full moon. Like it was serious business. <laughs> oh my, that's hilarious. Yeah, and yes. I, I just can't. Blood on, on the beige that case. <laughs> that's going to be the book title for installing team systems. Came with a voodoo manual. You know, there was trouble when there were people actually were throwing the ideas around about writing a book for installing TFS. Yeah. Yeah. At one Not point. using it, just getting it installed. Yeah, because it, it, you know, in fairness to it, it relied on a lot of things like SharePoint reporting services, yeah. but it was always going to get blamed no matter what. No, um, and you're right. The problem is that there's 15 ways to sh- install SharePoint, and all of them are wrong. <laughs> so, um, you're not and bitter course, about that, Richard. No, not bitter at all. Ask me about Outlook. No, don't. <laughs> These are This is Richard and Carl saying this stuff, not Mike, by the way. <laughs> Just in case. Sometimes it's really fun not to be an employee of Microsoft. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but I, my point is, little bitty teams who maybe didn't want to take that on or couldn't have took that on, hey, now they can... You know, we think of it as some big, you know, that's the cloud, but they can take that on and they can fire up their own, you know, their own TFS server in a matter of minutes now, which is really compelling. Yeah, it's gotten much, much better. Yep. And, you know, the cloud is just like, okay, I just want to sign it up, I register, I turn it on, and then it's running in the background for me. You know, zero maintenance overhead, so to speak. You know, I, I want to bring up something. We sort of hinted at this at the beginning, but... Uh, on my on the Run As Radio show, which is the IT show, I get a chance to interview PFEs on a regular basis, and I think most people don't even know you exist because you, yeah. you generally only go to your biggest customers. Well, we go to anywhere there's a premier contract, which is right. a lot of times big customers. But it could, yeah. you know, we do have some small customers. But yeah, we, we are at large enterprises, and we are a little bit of a shadowy organization, so to speak. Yeah, but, but you, we are. Yeah, you know, you're 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 great for podcasts because you guys go out in the field and actually do the work, right? Yep. Keep these systems working properly. Like there's there's blood on your hands too, trying to make these things work. I just worry that. Not enough of that experience gets back to the product teams. Yeah. Okay. So, so great point. Um, I would say that w- I love my product or the products I work on uh, with Visual Studio and TFS specifically because you know I'm not I'm not best buddies with with uh, you know Brian Harry and Martin Woodward and Grant Holiday and all those folks necessarily, but I do. They do are very responsive uh, to the field folks. Yeah. So if I have I have an issue, um, they are their ears are wide open as we feed that data back to them. So we do. I mean, it, it, I can I can you, know, you can rest easy tonight, Richard, because <laughs> but, but, I mean, tell me you can point to features in this version of of ALM and say this is stuff that came from a project I did. Okay, so yeah, that's that's a great on the spot question. I'm thank God we have time for editing. Uh, this show's not live. <laughs> So I'll tell you, I'm going to give you a very specific example, and this is going to be hardcore. 
Okay. I, I was recently working with a customer and we were seeing, I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but we were seeing, um, some exceptions being thrown. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this won't necessarily be a feature, but this is just how kind of real time things are. Well, we took a memory dump. We looked at the, you know, PFEs, by the way, you know, they live in the world of the, 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 the wind DBG and the lightsaber, right? Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we took a memory dump. I had my buddy Greg Varveris and I looking at this and we, we, we fed this back to the product group. Basically within a couple hours, I'm getting an email with Brian Harry on the CC line who he loops into the, the people that know about this particular area. We found a, you know, a potential bug in the product. Nice. I'll say, I'll say potential to be a full, full non-disclosure here, but right away that, that bugs filed in TFS internally. And, you know, you can expect that, that fix to be out in, out in production. So no, we definitely, um, not only, not only features where we're feeding back information, but, but bugs, bugs, et cetera, to the product yeah, group. And, and my, from the field. And that to me is incredibly important. Like that's how you make a product better. Yeah, exactly. And we, we are, uh, we are working with the product, with the customers in the field. And there's always stuff we are, we're going to be doing outside. That, you know, nobody, not, not every customer is building frameworks and operating systems. And so we, hey, yeah. I got a hint for you. Almost none of your customers are. <laughs> exactly. What's the story with unit testing in VS11? Is there anything new there? The test runner, maybe? Yes. Actually, there's, there's big improvements there. Well, one is just huge performance improvements. Doing things like, how about this one? Well, if you do unit testing in like 2010 today, you start a unit test, what do you do? You grab coffee and wait if you're running a bunch of them because you're basically blocked. It's running on the same thread, et cetera. We, we spawn up, uh, we spawn it up in the background now. So you continue on as the tests run. Nice. Um, so yeah, so cool performance stuff. But then I think a lot of people will like this. You know, we force you pretty much, if you want to use all the unit test stuff in 2010 and before, you're, you know, you're using MS test basically. You can plug in your own stuff, but to get all of our, you know, bells and whistles, you're using MS test. Mm-hmm. Um, we're allowing it's a plug and play thing now. So if you want to plug in, you know, in unit, X unit, B unit, whatever you come up with, it, it, it plugs into our world and you, and we have this thing called unit test explorer, uh, to make the, uh, the user experience richer. So we did a ton of work in, in unit testing and you can check a, uh, a lot of that out in Brian Keller's public PhD. Uh, with you got hands on labs on this, et cetera. Awesome. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, that, that has been a bone of contention for a lot of people. I can't keep working while my tests are running. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's the, the performance in general of the, the unit tests are, are much improved as well. Performance in general of Visual Studio really is, is, is really, really cool. I mean, Team Explorer. I mean, you guys are familiar with Team Explorer in the earlier yeah. versions, and you probably know that when you connect to more than one team project, you know, I hope I don't open Visual Studio and I had five or six of them connected because it's going to sit there and begin to spin on me and wait and this kind of thing. All of that has gone away. We're pretty much loading only what you need. And we've got this, this, a bunch of stuff. I, I'll call it Team Explorer Unleashed because we did a bunch of work with, with Team Explorer, uh, searching work items, um, in team, right out of Team Explorer, mm. right there for you. We have search everywhere, in fact, in Visual Studio, but, can I talk about one real cool feature in, in Team Explorer? Well, of course. Okay. So Team Explorer, um, I like this a lot because as a developer, uh, I used to formerly be a, a web developer. I'd be sitting there. I'd be zoned in on something. I'd have my monitor spread out. I'd have breakpoint set. and I'd be ready to fix this bug. You know, I'd have, my IDE at that point would be in a certain state, if you will, right? I was yeah. locked in. I, and then, you know, of course, I look at the, you know, my beautiful project manager walks over and says, Mike, 
we have a problem. You got to drop what you're doing and fix this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I look at my state and I'm like, how am I ever going to come back to right here? Um, well, what we can do now is we can suspend state. What suspend state does or suspend work in Team Explorer is it'll actually shelve the code for you, which you could do that, you know, manually yourself, but it'll also keep track of things like where you had your windows and what breakpoints were set, this kind of thing. And I can go fix her stuff. You know, after I'm suspended, you know, I can just go back into wherever her stuff needs to be fixed or his, check it in, and then I'll say, I'll come back to my work and go, okay, I'm ready to resume. And I just hit the resume button and then watch the windows fly across the monitors and the breakpoints get reset up. Awesome. And I'm right back in the zone where I was. Wow, that's great. Yep. Yep. Cool stuff. I mean, a lot of what's going on in Team Explorer is about keeping the developer, you know, the quote unquote in the zone, trying to remove the distractions. Things like subtle things, like you know how you have pending changes window, which is a, yet another window over off to the side in Visual Studio. Right. That's yeah. That's all cooked directly into Team Explorer now, so it's all integrated right there. Um, one other really cool feature we'd be remiss. There's so many things to talk about. We we would run out of time, but uh, code review. You know, people have tried code review in various forms with TFS with some success or Visual Studio. Uh, we have code review built directly into Team Explorer now. And it becomes this, I could add Richard and Carl, so to speak, to my review process. And, 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 and basically wow. it becomes, a, yeah, it becomes a very like, a, almost like we're having a conversation in Team Explorer. Wow, that's awesome. Well, um, I, I think that's a show. Is there anything else that you want to talk about real quick before we sign off? Um... There's there's too much to talk about with the, with the product. <laughs> we need another show. Is what you're saying? Think, there's just so much stuff; it just never ends, and the bucket list gets bigger. So, but it is a beta, so stuff's still going to change. Yes, yes. The uh, you can imagine uh, stuff changing, and we'll see what the UI looks like in a couple versions. Nobody, mm-hmm. you didn't even bring up the UI. Thankfully, gracefully, because um, some people love the UI. What is your opinion on the UI, guys? Off the cuff here. You know, uh, for me, I if it works, I can get used to it. It's not, you know, uh, for me, making sure everything works and I can do my work is the most important thing. But that's me. I don't know how, I don't know how Mort's going to take it. Yeah, I mean, I have heard the screams too. I also think that the font, the the sort of caseless font, is annoying people. It looks like it's screaming all the time. But I also have learned not to get too anxious about this stuff because it changes. Yeah. Yep. It does. So, yeah, it looks a little half-baked right now. Like, they're trying some new ideas, and I'm glad they're trying new ideas. Not all of them are that good, but I'm pretty sure they're hearing that feedback. Well, thanks very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure sharing this hour with you, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff coming in VS11. And uh, we're, we're going to continue to talk about it, so I hope to have you back. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net. 
training developers to work smarter, and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got to transmit a band by the FCC.